Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 872. As I needed wheels to walk. But then she lowered her head a bit and nuzzled Elle in a motherly way. The girl reached out a hand to pet her nose almost automatically, then took the reins from me. Do you think that's a good idea? Kren asked when I came back to pack the other horses. Greytail is gentle as a lamb. Just because Elle is witless as a sheep, Kryn said archly, doesn't make them a good parent. I cracked a smile at that. We'll watch them close for an hour or so. If it doesn't work, it doesn't. But sometimes the best help a person can find is helping someone else. Since I had slept poorly, I was twice weary today. My stomach was sour, and I felt gritty, like someone had sanded the first two layers of my skin away. I was almost tempted to doze in the saddle but I couldn't bring myself to ride while the girls walked. So I plodded along, leading my horse and nodding on my feet. But today I couldn't fall into the comfortable half-sleep I tend to use when walking. I was plagued with thoughts of Aleg, wondering if he was still alive. I knew from my time in the Medica that the gut wound I'd given him was fatal. I also knew it was a slow death, slow and painful. With proper care, it might be a full span of days before he died. Even alone in the middle of nowhere, he could live for days with such a wound. Not pleasant days. He would grow delirious with fever as the infection set in. Every moment would tear the wound open again. Every movement would tear the wound open again. He couldn't walk on his hamstrung leg either. So, if he wanted to move, he'd have to crawl. He would be cramped with hunger and burning with thirst by now. But not dead from thirst. No, I had left a full waterskin nearby. I had laid it at his side before we had left. Not out of kindness. Not to make his last hours more bearable. I had left it because I knew that with water he would live longer, suffer more. Leaving him that waterskin was the most terrible thing I'd ever done, and now that my anger had cooled to ashes, I regretted it. I wondered how much longer he would live because of it. A day? Two? Certainly no more than two. I tried not to think of what those two days would be like. But even when I forced thoughts of Alec from my mind, I had other demons to fight. I remembered bits and pieces of that night, the things the false troopers had said as I cut them down, the sounds my sword had made as it dug into them, the smell of their skin as I had branded them. I had... The end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Now, as we discussed on a previous page, and as is confirmed here, there's actually a very good chance that Aleg is alive. No body rule. Exactly. I usually hold to the no body rule. That said, this passage is setting up something. So it might just be an aid of setting up the fact that Quoth, after what happens on the next page, uh, feels no remorse at all and is uh, extremely pleased with himself, satisfied that he did a good thing. Uh, but on this page, he's he's kind of fretting it and he's going, oh, man, I really that was no good what I did. I, I you know, like he says here, he regretted it. So I, I don't I think it's well, I think it's 50 50. I think it's 50 50 chance that Aleg actually ended up surviving this somehow and that Quoth will encounter a limping and extremely angry uh, thug at some point in the future. And uh, even money that he is just dead and it's just setting up this this moment where Quoth uh, gets to. Clear his conscience. I think that he's sort of going through like stages of the acceptance of his own actions. Like he did them, 
and anger. So, like, I guess the first stage theoretically would be anger and action. And then the the second stage is like, did I do the right thing? And then the third thing is, it's done now. It's like no use, no use to be guilty for this thing. I like it was the right thing. It was in quotations. It was the right thing. Yeah. It's, what What's the reverse of the stages of grief? The stages of coming to terms with and becoming okay with doing a really bad thing. I don't totally agree with you, Jordana, because it's not like he processes it. It's that he gets reminded of why he did it. And he's like, you know what? I did do the right thing. That guy deserves to suffer, which is true and correct. I think that is part of the stages, though, because the stage of being of, of the regret and being like, oh, my God, is just like the second guessing stage. And then you go kind of the third stage is going back to a bit of the first stage. But you're sort of affirming the first stage. You're affirming that, like, you made this choice for a reason. This is the choice. Good to go. I also feel like this is similar to the stages I go through after doing something that makes me anxious. <laughs> like, I'll do the thing and I'll be like, I'm doing this thing. This is the right thing to do. Like, for example, like being in crowds. I hate being in crowds. But normally when I'm in them, I'm doing something fun and exciting. So I'll be like, I'm doing this fun and exciting thing. I'm with my friends. Everything's great. I'm doing all the right things. And then I'll get home. And this terrible wall of like, did I do the right things? Did I say the right things? Are the things I said okay? Are, was the body language I gave off okay? Is everything actually going to be okay? And then later I'm like, yes, everything is fine. Just like you thought it was in the moment. <laughs> I think it's awesome that you can do cognitive behavioral therapy on yourself in the moment. That's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I the have I... literal paperwork for it. <laughs> the reason, Jordana, that I don't totally agree with you is that it's an external force that lands on quote on the next page. Maybe we should pin this idea mm. until we get there. Cause he doesn't actually like process it and come to the conclusion. It, there is an external force in uh, Ellie uh, who reminds him, Oh yeah, these people, Aleg and the people that he represents caused a unfathomable amount of suffering and it was good to torture them to death. Yeah. We got to pin this for next page. I have, I have no ability to make the proper judgments right now. What strikes me about this page is that it's not very often that you get this kind of specific interiority of a character who has just done righteous violence, kind of reflecting on the guilt they feel about the righteous violence they've com like they've committed. You don't get a lot of angsty internal monologues from the Punisher being like, man, I wonder if doing unspeakable violence to all these mobsters is actually solving the social ill of organized crime. Even when you do get like an anti-hero who is kind of plagued by the, you know, the, the crimes of their past, it's often in pretty vague terms. It's just like, it strikes me as kind of unique or, or at least exceptional that this is both really ruminating on like one specific instance of violence about which he feels some guilt. Too bad it doesn't last. Well, I mean, he shouldn't feel guilty because he did do the right thing. But this is a this is a Jeremy is a proponent of the quote did nothing wrong theory, um, and I would just like to state that Nick and I were totally right on the previous pages that this would be the thing. I mean, I, I'm uh, this is a rare occasion where I'm actually inclined to agree with Jeremy. Some people have it coming. These guys had it coming. They had it coming. That's right. Yeah. And you know what? All those all those men that those women are singing about in Chicago also did in fact have it coming. It does sound that way, yes. I've actually, it's been a long time since I've seen Chicago, but I have recently 
watched the musical reenactment and of that specific song and I was like, yeah, it sounds like they're pretty shit. And I think the reason structurally that this has to happen is that if we don't get Quoth's interiority and don't see him process and rationalize it, then I think we're going to be asking ourselves, well, how, you know, what does Quoth think about this? Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to, it's going to call into question what we think we understand of his character, especially in light of the complexities that the book have raised. I don't know if you read the parts where you were away, Jeremy, but we actually do get a flashback to him killing Crin, and she does explicitly say it was them or me. Right. Um, so Although we talked we a little bit. We did discuss that uh, it could be the perfect truth, but it could also just be one of those things people say to get out of it. Right, sure. but the point is, Quoth will, Quoth will never know. And like it, it calls into question, you know, it... Not calls into question, but it like adds a layer of complexity to this because now suddenly it's not just black and white. It's like there's now degrees of victimhood, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And Quoth, rightly or wrongly, did not spend the time to investigate. He simply meted out justice. So the book is engaging with it at a deeper level than like a simple morality play might do. And I think because of that, we need to seek Quoth's interiority in order to get back on side with the character. Because otherwise... Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to be asking ourselves, well, how can he can how come he can square away this this explicitly moral difficulty? Um, and I think <laughs> this is a rare occasion of. Uh, I mean, he's still an unreliable narrator because of the nature of the the nature of narration. Not that he's not trustworthy, but simply because as a narrator, you are de facto, unless you are omniscient, you are unreliable. What I mean is that would be a very large omission given what we've seen otherwise. Even- so it needs to happen. And so structurally, that's why it's here. And also, sorry, I will finish my thought, Jeremy. Structurally, that's why it's here. And also, uh, maybe he will return to it in book three a little bit, but he'll return to it as like maybe a passing trauma, but not a trauma that he's like still working through. We, I think we can put to bed after tomorrow's page anyway. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself that he has like processed and put away this trauma. Traumatic, yes, but he feels good about it. Even without that revelation about Kryn, if you have your hero, uh, like slaughter a bunch of people in cold blood, uh, and not feel some kind of guilt or 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 questioning about it, it does kind of make them come off like a psycho in a narrative like this that is kind of morally and emotionally complex. Like that works fine in John Wick, right? We're not we're not really worried about John Wick's interiority in John Wick. We're like, okay, we no, just these guys see him pull out a bunch of guns and be cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these guys deserve it. We've established that they deserve it and we don't have to worry about the right about all the wives and and husbands and children that the goons, the like thousands of goons that he murders leave in their way. Right? We don't have to wrestle with the moral complexity because that's not the genre conventions that we're working in, right? Whereas this book is dealing with a different set of conventions. Its characters and its moral universe are complex. There is no like necessarily like ontological good or evil in this world. And so of necessity and, and Quoth has not up until this point really seemed like the kind of character who would pull off this kind of sustained calculated violence. I don't think so if if he didn't have some wrestling with it to do that would indicate something rather chilling about his character you know in Austin Powers there's the bit with the uh the goon who 
very slowly gets run over by the, well, first he fails to get out of the way of, and then gets slowly run over by the steamroller. Yes. In the international cut, there is an extra scene where Dr. Evil's people call his widow and she has to sit their son down and explain to him that their son, that their, her, his father has been killed <laughs> in a steamrolling incident at Dr. Evil's lair. And I, I watched this on YouTube, like mouth agape, because first off, I thought this was an extremely good joke. And I was also like baffled as to why this was not in the in the North American cut. Like what it was it about North American sensibilities that, that That's meant that dark, they couldn't right? put That's it in. That's too like messed up. Right for North maybe American maybe people. it's too like it's too evocative of the troop experience. Yeah. I guess I think it's just like it's I think to a, a certain like American the general American movie going public of the late nineties. I think that that just would have been like too like to imply that this goon in this otherwise kind of like lighthearted sex farce had like a wife and children, and we have to think about their suffering. Like I think that joke just like wouldn't play right like it would just like it the tone shift would be so jarring i think that's why it's a good joke exactly that's why it's (laughs) that's why it's hilarious right and characteristically the europeans have a much more uh complex and let's face it dark sense of humor and i i do think that like uh, the american movie going public's tastes may have changed and that joke probably maybe wouldn't get cut out of an out of like a theatrical release in american now but i I don't agree with it, but I can see the logic of why you would cut it out in like 1997. The Wise Men's Sphere and Austin Powers uh, on equal footing. Mm-hmm. Two great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> Shagadelic. You know, you know, if you start the audiobook of The Wise Men's Sphere, right? When you start <laughs> Austin Powers, it ends right at the end of Goldmember. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Page of the Goldmember is our new interactive media experience coming soon to a independent cinema near you absolutely not hit the bong put on the audiobook and then watch uh the austin powers trilogy i guess three times back to back and then you'll probably be about at the end of the audiobook yeah apparently the audiobook takes longer to read than than three nights than the amount of time it took quoth to narrate it Mm. pretty sus is there anything else we want to say on this page i'm good oh wait no i think i have something yes I just wanted to say that the first sentence that we only get half of on this page and we only got half of on the last page. I just feel like we need to appreciate the comic relief of it a little better um, because it's very funny about how uh, the horse needs leading as much as he needs wheels to walk. I find that very funny. Yeah, for a minute I was like, wheels? That seems like an anachronism. And then I was like, wait, I'm thinking of tires. Of course they have wheels. And... This first sequence before the Tilda brand, like he's basically doing like, you know, animal therapy with this traumatized person, which is something that, you know, we do all the time in the real world and with horses specifically, like getting someone who, you know, has uh, a mental illness or like a physical disability, getting them to work with horses can be really good and healthy in a therapeutic way. So I think that's Quoth is ahead of his time. I'll read a short letter today from our magical friend john who writes uh dear pagers on today's episode 860 nick talks about how you if you are gming a fight and it's going on too long to have the enemy retreat or fall back specifically he mentions how goblins wouldn't fight to the last man interestingly in the campaign i run for fellow listeners of the show the party encountered a goblin who threw down his weapons after the rest of his group had been brutally slaughtered 
That goblin's name is Nick, and he's shown up again and provided some info for the party. Magically, John. <laughs> You're a goblin. <laughs> yeah, Nick is a great name for a cowardly opportunist. <laughs> but I think what goes without saying is that his cohorts were slaughtered. So oh, yeah. uh, hate to be Nick's cohorts. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I guess you did come out of that on top. Listeners, rest assured that I would also be sensibly cowardly and flee, flee for my life uh, before the onslaught of your noble adventurer. And be assured of that on tomorrow's page. Uh... Pushing Jordana over as I <laughs> run into safety, <laughs> leaving her behind to die. The wind. The wind. Wind.